Welcome, everybody, to episode 87 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, which features David and Ben. How are you doing this evening, Ben? I'm doing good, actually. Yeah, it's less smoky yeah. <laughs> um, than it was last week. Yeah. Um, the, the smoke is, is promised, was, is promised to come back again. Yes, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, it's actually raining right now, which oh, is nice. Oh, well, which is uh, not unusual in the Pacific Northwest. It is not unusual, but I think everything's looking a bit parched, so I'm pleased to see some gentle rain yes. falling and yes. watering my plants that are on my new balcony. Um, what's the weather like in lovely Portland? It is uh, kind of the misty rain. Yes. It is overcast, and yes, we do have smoke in the forecast later this week. Smoke on the water. So it's yes. On its return. There you go. Well, I mean, hopefully the rain will put out some of the fires or something. I don't know. I Let, guess us hope. Let us hope. Let us hope. How it's supposed to work. Um, so we're going to continue our conversation about Silurians yeah. and sea devils and their ilk. The uh, ancient inhabitants of the Planet Earth, Earth from the dawn of time. From beyond mm. the mists of dawn, beyond the dawn of civilization and time, yes. And we, we're going to continue to go backwards in mm-hmm. time because this is a time-traveling show. So I think the first, the first topic of conversation this evening will be... The Warriors of the Deep. From 1984. Ooh, very prescient year. It was the uh, beginning of, what, season 21? It was. And I can remember being insanely excited for this because I, my favorite, of course, I'd never seen the Silurians Mm -hmm. because there wasn't such thing as kind of videos of things in those days. Um, But the Doctor and the Cave Monsters, the Malcolm Holt novelization, was quite my favorite uh, target novelization. And I was so excited to Mm -hmm. have these back even though I was 18, <laughs> or maybe I was 17. Anyway, I was probably too old to be very, very excited. You were away at school at the uh, time no, because actually, this was coming up. I wasn't up. away at school because it was started on the 5th of January, oh. um, so I hadn't gone back to school by then. So you were on break uh, still. I was still on Christmas break, exactly. Yes, 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 yes. Commandeer the television and you could watch what? in the comfort of your own sitting room. Well, I'll have to correct you there. I watched it in the comfort of someone else's sitting room because oh. we were at my parents' friends, Jeffrey and Valerie Booth's house in um, West London, and I was allowed to sneak away from the dinner table and <laughs> go and watch telly, which was very, very disapproved of by my parents. But I think Valerie and Jeffrey thought that was all right. But Valerie Booth, who is thankfully still with us, was a, a continuity woman for various film directors, namely Lindsay Anderson. Really? So she was in the industry? Oh, she was in the industry. Um, she worked on Supergirl and uh, If and various other amazing um, uh, British films. Um, so I think she was she she was sympathetic, but everyone else was kind of hostile. But anyway, <laughs> so I snuck away and I watched it. And um, well, what did I think? What did you think when you first saw these new Silurians. So this was in probably mid-80s, so probably 85 would be when I saw it, or late 84. And I would have been a freshman in high school at the time, and I was pretty stoked by it, actually. It it was a lot more interesting because season 20, Doctor Who was kind of not that interesting for me. I was losing interest in it. It tended to the dry side, I felt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was not a lot of action. And so this came o- came along, and there was a lot of action, and it was uh, a very 80 set, but I could really relate to the Cold War setting. We loved the Cold War in 1984, didn't we? Yes. And yeah, so it, it struck a chord for a teenager in the 1980s, at least in uh, the U.S. side of the Atlantic. Uh, similarly with me, I remember enjoying the Cold War, uh, enjoying the Cold War <laughs> setting. I remember being frustrated by the lack of delineation between like well obviously it's the russians and the americans so why don't they just say that um that seemed to me to be kind of you know sort of like old-fashioned not to say who the blocks were who were fighting against each other right um, i guess that made it more kind of science fictiony mm-hmm. so yeah i i was I, I was a little disappointed i didn't think that the sea devils and the silurians were quite as awesome as i remember the sea devils being and as i had imagined the silurians to be and I, I also remember even then being slightly disappointed by the uh, by the effects. By I think the Merca again. Mm-hmm. I mean, we won't talk a huge amount about the Merca, or maybe we will. But you know, it's obviously one of it's it's famous for being one of the least most least effective um, uh, effects in Doctor Who ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's aged that well. 
Warriors of the Deep? No, I watched it this afternoon, and it is, you see the seams, you see a lot of the flaws that have been called out over the years, and I'm of mixed minds. I think the number one thing is the Merca. I wonder if it would have made sense for Pennant Roberts, the director, just to say, all right, we got to do something else. We're going to just have more, we're going to have more sea devils or something come through. We're just going to... Uh, yeah. throw the Merca in the trash because it was late to be uh, finished and the paint was still wet on it and it really kind of is a crap design where you have the four legs and then the two arms waving around and the uh, kind of dazzly golf ball eyes and it just it just doesn't work and I'm not sure I mean it's the other knock on Warriors of the Deep is that it's overly lit and I'm not sure turning down the lights, <laughs> you would have to have a really dark studio for the Merca to work. Helps. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I mean, I don't find I don't find the lighting to be too much of a problem for me. Actually, hmm. I mean, I think I think you're right. I mean, if it had been all dark, it would have just been the same. Only everything would have been all dark, right. basically. Um, I think the brightness, which the brightness actually is, is interesting. I mean, knowing that Johnny Byrne. The writer also worked, also wrote for Space 1999. It is kind of reminiscent of Moonbase Alpha in that, you know, it's brightly lit and everyone's wearing kind of space clothes. I have no idea whether he had any influence. I doubt they did on anything to do with the lighting or the design. But still, it is sort of reminiscent of Moonbase Alpha. Right. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the, yes, I think watching it again, taking a look at it again today, I mean, I think the squeaky voices... Don't do anyone any favors. Squeaky um, voices being on the Silurians. The Silurian squeaky voices. They did seem to be pitched an octave higher than they had been previously. They're more squeaky than, than they were originally. I also think that the whispery voices of the Sea Devils are too whispery. They reminded me of the uh, Ice Warriors like from in the Seeds of Death. Yeah, which all, all that happens, it just means they take too long to say anything. Right. Um, and when they're supposed... Supposed to be warriors, and then you have all these kind of you know rapid-ish Eric Sawood-esque fight scenes, you know, mm-hmm. which are supposed to be really kind of you know violent because Sawood was obsessed with violence. Yet then you know the villains are either they're either kind of squeaky, like squeaking like Bungle from you know Rainbow, or they're sibilating like very very slow undercranked children. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's. It's um, it, it it kind of there's too much contrast. There's too much kind of mis mismatching mm-hmm. in it. I think really, um, it is again. It is interesting. I mean, again, watching it, uh, you know, when they when they kind of when the Silurians uh, resurrect or resurrect re reboot the Sea Devils, it was like aliens, you know. I mean, or alien. They're all these kind of mist. The Sea Devils are all kind of you know arranged and kind of sort of like the eggs in Alien, basically, which I thought was kind of interesting. What it reminded me of, especially uh, suggested by the costume, is the uh, clay terracotta warriors in China. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's I, yeah, that's I mean, a visual have... image that I thought of when I saw yeah, that. Yeah, but then again, you see, I mean, you know, maybe I'm being over-sentimental about, you know, the, the Sea Devils, which is, I think, as regular listeners will know, was the first Doctor Who I ever saw. The blue string vests that, <laughs> that, that they wore were just so much more effective than the kind of, you know, rubberized, not rubberized, the kind of vinyl samurai outfits mm-hmm. that they decided to wear on this occasion, which just accentuate the awkwardness of the way that they move because mm-hmm. they got the kind of spiky things on their shoulders and then they got hats on. And, they, you know, the, the fact is, is that the Sea Devil costume is a hat anyway. Right. You know, people wear the head on their head. So it makes it even more kind of awkward looking. Right. And then they have this kind of low skirts, the kind of hobble skirt things, mm-hmm. you know, which again, like how are they going to warrior themselves if, you know, they're wearing these kind of hobble skirts? So I just didn't feel that was very effective. Uh, and then the, the flashing lights on the, the third eye of the Silurians now flashes. Right. So you can tell which one is talking. Mm-hmm. It's kind of easy to tell which one is talking, actually. It's not that hard. They don't really need the lights to flash. I don't understand why you would have a flashing light on your head so that people can tell which one of you is talking. Mm-hmm. So I felt that was poor. It became like surrogate Dalek lights because the flashing one is the one talking. And if you compare it to the original Silurian design, the mouths did actually move in the 1969, 1970 design. So they used their mouths for communication. Um, The costume, I think, is 
is interesting and it's a, it's one of the faults that we had on the the third branch of the Silurian design in the reboot in 2010 was clothing and so it was very contrasting that the sea devils had the samurai-esque warrior costume but um <laughs> the Silurians were naked <laughs> they continue to be naked apart from their little bracelets that they wear which right. is sort of cute it's an interesting choice it's sort of like why why would one branch of the Silurian uh, society Triad, whatever they're called yeah. uh develop clothing but the original uh were a bunch of naturalists i guess i i don't know well i guess they're sort of like tortoises aren't they i mean they have like a carapace of some kind uh, yeah. I, I guess i'm vaguely imagining that like you know tortoises aren't naked because they've got shells or something so maybe these aren't naked because yeah. they've got a shell on so this is a i think a matt irvine redesign I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, they have a Matt Irvine-y feel to them, don't they? <laughs> the other thing, actually, about the Solurians is they've got, they've got, they've, they've sort of, they're sort of smiling. I, I guess the idea is they, they, they kind of got beaks. I, I think that's what they're supposed to have is beaks. So they have these immovable beak mouths, which is why they're, they're now their third eyes flash. So that mm-hmm. I guess they can tell who's talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I think it would have been better if you would have had something with the uh, Silurian mouth moving rather than having I to think have it. Would have been better, exactly. Third eye flashing, and the, really the third. There was Johnny Byrne and Eric Sayward did not work the third eye in there at all for any purpose. So I guess if you're not going to use it, then you look at what they did in 2010. Why even have it? Exactly. Um, but the beaks, the beaks are kind of organized so that when you're looking at them full on, it looks like they're sort of shyly smiling, which <laughs> is when they're kind of issuing threats to start a nuclear war to destroy humanity. Right. I don't know why they're kind of like shyly smiling at you when they do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's a bit of a mistake there, in my opinion. Because, again, I mean, the weird thing is, yeah, I mean, the, the sea devil's mouths don't move, but they don't have flashing lights to tell you which one of them is talking. Well, yeah. yeah, they just do that head wobble, <laughs> or they rock back and forth, just so you can tell. Wobble their heads like Slitheen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, it is, it is grim. Yeah. You know, everyone dies. It did cause a falling out with Johnny Byrne in the Doctor Who production office, because... Oh, really? Not everyone died in Byrne's original script. Eric oh. Sayward came in and wanted it <laughs> grim Come and on. gritty, and he... <laughs> <laughs> He killed off. He's in, he was in the wrong show. <laughs> he really was, but he he killed off all the all the, all all the, the Silurians because they were uh, meant to survive. Yeah, Ichthar was Ichthar. Ichthar was supposed to survive, and I, I imagine I think probably Vorschak might have survived too. Yeah. The commander. The other thing that was confusing when I was watching it this afternoon was that they were talking about remembering the Doctor, which which implies that they're the same ones. From 1970, which, A, they look completely different. So Mm -hmm. you get that same, well, if they're the same ones, then they should probably look the same, then shouldn't they? But then the other thing is like, well, didn't they all get killed by the Brigadier? Yeah. Weren't they all in Derbyshire? Yeah. Um, Rather than underneath some ocean somewhere? Yeah. And then aren't they now really old? Um, (laughs) I mean, I know reptiles like live probably longer than humans, though I don't really think they do. So a lot of that didn't make sense. I mean, I guess it was there for kind of dramatic effect, but, you know, pictorially and sort of, you know, long, long-term long story-wise, that didn't make any sense to me, I'm afraid. Well, this was the era of superfan uh, Ian Levine's influence on the show, too. Oh, so I know he was disappointed that Johnny Byrne didn't capture what uh, Levine thought was the essence of the Sea Devils and Silurians in his script. So perhaps it was a fan suggestion say, hey, let's make it the same Silurians that the Doctor previously met. And we'll even go further and have them recognize the Doctor, just like the Daleks and the Cybermen do. Yeah, which is like, how do they recognize the Doctor? I guess he kind of says that I'm the Doctor, but, you know. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it does smack of Levine, Levine-esque unnecessariness, unnecessariness. Is unnecessariness a word? Unnecessary continuity. Unnecessary continuity, exactly. They don't have to be the same. And in fact, it makes less sense for them to be the same than it would be for them to be completely different. But uh, I think a lot of elements work in it. I think that uh, using the uh, chemical, uh, whatever it was, 
Is it hexachromite or something? I think no, something so. Else. Or hmm. Yeah, hexachromite. Hexachromite. Yeah. Which they just happen to have like in a nuclear missile base, you know. Well, it's a sealant or something like that. Which would yeah, be, if it, if it was a sealant, it would make sense if it's underwater and. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think it's a mixed bag. I think it was effective enough on its first view, but then every subsequent view for me, it's how much nostalgia from the 1980s will carry it and elevate it just a little bit as it seems to decline in <laughs> just even watchability. It is very 80s. I mean, their cost the costumes of the, you know, the people who are running the missile base, they look like they're from Kajigugu or something, you know, that's very uh, and they've got makeup on which again superficially looks cool um but then the more you think about like why they're wearing makeup then the less that becomes something that makes sense Mm -hmm. it is good to see ingrid pitt because she's fabulous i love ingrid pitt with a passion so it's nice to have her Mm. um and i like um ian what's his name as well um it's always good to see him um ian mcculloch they played the two baddies in the story. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, Ian McCulloch, of course, is the, the one of the leads from Survivors, which is a show I'm I'm very fond of. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I actually, even then, even in the um, when I first saw it, I was super excited to see Ian McCulloch mm-hmm. because I'd I'd sneaked, I'd watched sneakily watched episodes of Survivors um, uh, where I wasn't allowed to watch it because it was supposed to be too scary. So it's good to see him. Um, and lovely to see Ingrid Pitt, mm-hmm. even though, you know, her karate kung fu Another low um, point. fighting is <laughs> kind of a low point. Yeah. Um, they should have just given her a gun, yeah. actually, or a stick. A pointed stick probably would be more effective yeah. than her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was nice seeing Ingrid Pitt again, but I, I don't think she was well served by this role either. You I know think. what they should have done, though? Hmm. What if I'd been uh, Ian Levine? And I, I can't, I can't, I, I kind of still could be Ian Levine actually. <laughs> um, if I was Ian Levine, I'd have said that it's not Ingrid Pitt. It's not uh, what's what's the character called? It's not so 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 long so long. Solov, it's actually it's the reincarnation of the princess of Atlantis oh, that she played in the Time Monster. Because <laughs> it's underwater. Yeah. Okay, so they find her in a tomb or something. Okay. No, yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. You know. Yeah. I mean, I'm liking this. They <laughs> no. find her in a tomb, um, and I don't know. She helps them defeat uh, defeat the Sea Devils because as an Atlantean, she knows all about them. <laughs> Get the fish people from. Uh, yes. So you, yes, it's like a it, it's like the nexus of Atlantis. You get the fish people yes. for underwater menace. You have yep. uh, Princess Ingrid Pitt from the Time Princess Monster. <laughs> that is her name in the yeah. Time Monster. <laughs> uh, yeah, and she has an army of fish people, and the fish people uh, help our heroes. Queen Galia, that's what she's called. Um, the fish people help our heroes to defeat the sea devils in a, like a massive. T- underwater battle in a kind of James Bond sort of Thunderball sort of way. Uh, <laughs> well, all right. That, so, that is what they should have done. Yeah. So maybe I don't think so, but it would have, <laughs> it would have uh, been the unified theory of Atlantis for Doctor Who at that point. Oh yeah. 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 You know, work, yeah. Just working Doctor Who and it would have fit with JNT's uh, edict of returning monsters there. You just have fish people and Queen, oh, yeah. Queen Galia, Princess Ingrid Pitt and yeah. Yeah, sea devils yeah. and Silurians. Yeah, there you go. That's we we just solve we just solve all the plot problem, <laughs> pro, plot problems of this of this particular story. I think we made it a worse story, actually. <laughs> I think we made it an infinitely better story. <laughs> <laughs> so James Bond, I think, had a hell of a lot of influence on the Sea Devils. I was watching that the other day, and yep. Especially like the uh, chase scenes where the master goes off on a jet ski and the doctor follows and then they return on shore. And I just think we should have had the James Bond theme going on in the background with some of that. It just, this is mid-Pertwee and we had a lot of chase padding and... He, he loved, well, I mean, I think, you know, everyone knows about John. He loved, he loved mm-hmm. motorboats and motorcars and motorbicycles and anything with a motor right. in it. He would jump on it. Yeah, it is very Bondian, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and the Masters are very much a Bond, very you know, Bond villain in this a one, Bond especially. You know, he lives in a castle. He's got a plan. Right. He has henchmen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it is extremely Bondian. Yeah. Um, you know, if we're, we're diving back into the the Sea Devils now, I mean, I, I like I like the chases. I think the chases are good. They are padding, but you know, they're amusing padding. It is Bondian. Yeah. I mean, because you know the. 
It's a, there's a secret underwater base that gets destroyed by the Navy. I mean, right. that happens in James Bond all the time. Right. And uh, yeah. in, I mean, the, the, <laughs> the hero line, this is, where, this is where Pertwee actually says he reverses the polarity in the neutron flow on, in the Sea Devil underwater base. <laughs> Which, again, as I think I was saying last week, again, amusingly, is it's a BBC studio kind of draped in black cloth is their underwater, in, the, in their underwater base, which I think is excellent. Yeah. And shows a, an admirable lack of money at that point <laughs> in the production. <laughs> yeah. But you, you've, yeah. you've said in the past you really love the Sea Devil design. Oh, the Sea Devil design is great. No, it's I'm a huge fan of the Sea, sea Devil design. They look really properly... Uh, they move well they move quickly mm-hmm. again i was looking at it again this afternoon and just comparing the kind of lumberingness and the awkwardness of the 80s sea devils with the, the really kind of quick movements of the of the sea devils in the sea devils right you know, and they are all played by stunt people you know and they do some pretty impressive stunts i mean emerging from the water is an impressive stunt mm-hmm. they do backflips and you know there's a running battle with 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 the british navy right but they are kind of impressively kind of warrior-like because mm-hmm. they're doing kind of actual warrior things. Their guns are great. Um, I love the Sea Devil guns because they're just really unusual and, you know, alien-looking. Right. And I think their, you know, their mesh vests, you know, dresses that they wear are kind of, again, kind of impressively otherworldly and alien. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're, they're not naked, but then they're not really wearing anything either. Right, and it makes sense for an underwater creature that you wouldn't want to have a lot of fabric or anything that's going to absorb a water mm. and slow you down and they had those great heads you know yeah. those kind of the things coming off the back of the head which re, they're, they're probably gills or fins or something mm-hmm. but they, they don't really make a huge amount of sense but they look great um they're very impressive yeah i think it's a john friedlander design so it's i think it, it is it, yeah it is a classic mask and that it sits as a helmet to make all the stunt people look taller you have the uh the sea devil head and then they're looking out through this uh, elongated neck <laughs> yeah 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 and especially since you know um what's his name Stuart fell who was tiny tiny little man um he needed to look big and i think that they they're really they're really effective hmm. uh they're a great color they creep around, you know, when they're in that fort, mm-hmm. um, the, the the sea fort, or no, there's not a fort, it's like an oil rig or sea fort or whatever. Yeah, it's one of the sea forts in the Solent. The Pony Island sea fort. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's no man's fort. And yeah. uh, you can stay there. It's it's now a luxury hotel. Really? Yeah. Well, I, I have no way to afford to stay in a luxury <laughs> hotel, but I, I, I'd I like to imagine that I'd be able to do that one day. That would be awesome. I'm thinking, um, I'm thinking that would be... A great place for a Doctor Who convention. Just book that out and have Katie Manning yeah. and others from oh, the yeah. 1970s. Just a weekend in No Man's Fort. That'd be that would be fantastic. Sea yes. Devil um, themed convention. Sea Devil themed, exactly. Um, with transistor radios and fat Irishmen and just everything <laughs> to make to make it to make it authentic. Yeah, I really think they're super effective monsters, and they do super effective monstery things. Um, I you know. I keep repeating myself. Their base isn't very good, but I think by that time, by the by the sixth episode, you're so into the story. Well, I myself am so into the story that I really don't mind their base mm-hmm. kind of just being a BBC studio. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think where the production of this is strong is by having the British Navy in there and being able to film at HMS Seaspite and. It elevates or um, kind of paints over the cracks a little bit. So Mm -hmm. you have a strong monster design in the Freelander mask, and then you have good um, film location. So when you're in, like, the submarine set, when Donald Sumter, who's the captain of the submarine, is going on, it's it's tightly filmed, and then you're cut immediately to the surface then where you're on a naval vessel or on the base and so the time that you spend in bbc studio is relatively small and then the things that you're filming in the prison that are set on the studio is mostly focused around the master's cell area Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then the warden's office so i think they paper over you know it's sort of like john cleese and faulty towers i mentioned the war once but i think i got away with it i think they get away (laughs) with it here 
They do, they do. Well, was, I mean, Pertwee's was in the Navy, wasn't he? Yeah. And so, well, uh, and Barry Letts was in the Navy as well, mm-hmm. wasn't he? And then, meanwhile, while the, all of this is going on, Pertwee, I think, still was doing the Navy Lark on BBC the Radio. Lark. So On the radio, yeah, yeah. So they obviously had some kind of clout with the Navy. Um, and uh, the Navy, I mean, I can still remember, there's a lot of recruiting stuff in the 70s for the Navy. Uh, they had, there was a, there was a, a, a kind of a soap opera um, set on a, on a, it was called Warship, I think. That was it, Warship, huh. which I think Apache uh, uh, Troughton was in from time to time. Huh. Um, so yeah, I mean, the Navy was a big thing and I'm sure they were like, great, well, this will make kids want to join the Navy, mm-hmm. um, which it kind of made me want to join the Navy, especially if joining the Navy meant I got to fight sea devils. That <laughs> sounded, um, sounded very attractive as a, as a proposition. Yeah, instead of Argentinians. Instead of Argentinians, <laughs> which, which, which is what I would have had to fight if right. I joined the Navy in 1970s, exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, pretty good story, and I mean, it's another Mac Hulk story. So it does have the Doctor trying to broker peace, which is one of the, I think the theme, one of the themes that Mac Hulk touches on uh, quite a bit. Absolutely, he does, and that is what the Doctor tries to do, and fails miserably mm-hmm. as usual. And thanks to humanity, <laughs> or thanks to yeah. human aggression, because I think Hulk is again trying to basically call out the humans are the aggressors. But in this right. case, with the Sea Devils, I think he has both sides trying to solve it militarily, and right. and the humans get the upper hand. Well, I mean, it is, it is a slight shame that we don't have unit. I mean, i.e. Brigadier, Benton, mm-hmm. Yates, you know, the full gang. I think the Navy, the Navy folks um, actually kind of fill in pretty well right. for unit. I think the submarine captain, Donald Sumter character, and then the... Lieutenant Commander Mitchell do it do an admirable job filling uh, filling that in. So that's not too much of a disappointment. Yeah, I mean it also has the standardised Mac Hulk, and also you know Pertwee era evil Whitehall bureaucrat. Yeah, that's, that's the real yeah. enemy. That's that's he's all ready to set nuclear strikes going on. <laughs> he is. He's a, and he's, he steals Joe's sandwiches. Yeah, or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So so he's horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to find his name now. He's probably got some silly name. Oh, he's just called Walker. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. From Walker. the ministry, the man, the men from the ministry. Exactly. Yeah, we hate it. We we hate we hate mm-hmm. bureaucrats in Doctor Who. Yeah. It's interesting that though. Yeah, that it's uh, the government is often seen as the enemy, but yet the military is seen as the uh, champions of the side of the good, side of the Doctor. So it's a. Uh, it's an interesting well, uh, twist on yeah. our so-called liberal Doctor Who. <laughs> it is. You're, you are. You are correct. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's, it's the the men of it's the people who do things. The men mm-hmm. of action who are the who are the heroes. The people who actually get stuff mm-hmm. done. It was those bureaucrats in Washington mm-hmm. who are the real enemies. Or Whitehall. <laughs> or Whitehall. The, the W yeah. world where all the bureaucrats live. Depends on your side of the Atlantic. So this this yeah. one I think is uh, the start of where we are having a lot of I mentioned it earlier a lot of the James Bond influence in the Pertwee Doctor Who we like you said we have the the Bondian villain with the master in the castle but we have it's like James Bond with aliens it's James Bond with monsters right 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 yeah. which is fine because I mean James Bond is great so you know that's I, it was yeah. very very popular in the seventies yeah so and if you could and Roger Moore was good friends with John Pertwee so it it all works out oh I didn't know that were they were they friends I guess they probably hung out yeah, and they, together and they stuff, were they? and I think uh, John Pertwee taught Roger Moore how to play guitar really. Yeah, I did not know that. What what, what kind of guitar? Like Spanish just, Spanish guitar? <laughs> I don't know. Probably just uh, uh, folk guitar would be my guess. I don't know. But uh, Roger Moore, like kind of rocking sort of Jimi Hendrix style guitar. No, I would think more of the uh, body sea ballad type that uh, John Pertwee <laughs> was uh, known for. <laughs> body sea ballad guitar, perfect, excellent. Yeah. So yeah. Doctor Who and James Bond knew each other in real life. They did, and um, yeah, and this they should, they, yeah, they, they could, should have been a crossover, Doctor, actual <laughs> Doctor Who and James Bond. Yeah. Well, I think Doctor Who has weathered or uh, matured or aged a lot better than James Bond has as a concept. Yeah, well, I think they're having trouble with James Bond now, aren't they? They From definitely are. Reading, yeah, they yeah. can't find. Anyway, yes, that's that's the subject for someone else's podcast, though, <laughs> not for ours. <laughs> Thank you.
Hey everyone, this is David here. I'm interrupting to play this brief clip of Roger Moore talking about John Pertwee. This is from 1981 and courtesy of Milk Publishing's SoundCloud page. Let's have a listen. Roger, it's said that you play the guitar. Very badly. I, I strum it for my own amusement. Self-taught? Well, I had a couple of picking lessons from John Pertwee years ago. I was making a series called Ivanhoe, and John was a friend of mine. Yes. And I was suffering with uh, duodenal ulcer problems, worrying about my performance. I, what performance I was playing Ivanhoe? <laughs> but uh, he said, buy a ukulele and strum the ukulele. I mean, by the time you picked up G, A, B, and D flat. So it's like worry beads. Yes. He said, you, it'll solve all your problems. And from that, I moved on to the guitar. Do you ever play it in public? No, never. Unless you call my children public. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason we have the sea devils i think is because uh, all the silurians the original silurians were killed by the brigadier or at least that was mac hulk's thinking no they weren't they're still alive they're going to come back in a hundred years from now and meet peter davison's doctor is what they're going to do yeah, probably not, though. I think they were originally, I mean, the doctor says they were all killed or murdered by the brigadier. Indeed. And yeah. At the end, so yeah. since we're going yeah. backwards. The Silurians is an interesting interesting story and in how it breaks what Mac Hulk feared would be happening if he had an earthbound doctor where everything would be either alien invasion or the mad scientist. Right. Like you mentioned right. last time, it puts the aliens are already here, the monsters are already here. The aliens are already here, yep, yep. Which is, um, and, and, and again, it's done super effectively, in my humble opinion. You know, it's a long, it's a long one, um, seven episodes, um, one of the longest ever. Um, it doesn't mm-hmm. drag, uh, to my mind. Um, there are some amazing performances, and, you know, if the main thing we're talking about is monster design, the Silurians are super effectively designed monsters. Yep, they were designed by Jerry Abuoff. Yes. And we're looking at the original sketches, and there's no third eye in the two original sketches that have been circulating in Doctor Who magazine and elsewhere. So, again, I think our our hypothesis is that third eye was in the script in a 70s sort of way, and I guess they just bolted it onto onto their heads. But um, it's a really, really effective design. Um, You know, they they are kind of dark. You know, it is sort of... You know, if the criticism of the Warriors of the Deep is that it was overly too, too brightly lit, um, I think the Silurians is effectively dim, mm-hmm. especially the underground cave system and, and, and the base. They're very dark. Very dark. Mm-hmm. And that and that suits, and, and you know, they skulk around the dark. Their voices are nice and low. They're not too high and squeaky. They are kind of sibilant, um, but not overly sibilant. And they squabble, and they have a plot, and they have a plan, um, and, you know, they obviously, again, I think as was implied by the Merka, you know, they are genetic engineers, they have, you know, they fight using, you know, diseases um, as much as kind of weapons, they have pet monsters, um, they are excellent, excellent mm-hmm. villains and monsters. And I think they're very helped by the direction of Tim Coombe, who definitely keeps them hidden from the viewer until much, much later in the script. And listening to him talk in some of the DVD extras, he's saying this was, you know, this was a directorial right. choice or directorial decision because the Hulk had him appearing much earlier in the script. So he kept him in the shadows as long as possible just to build that mystery and tension for the viewer. Extremely effective. And I think it, it sets that kind of 70s Who cliche of the kind of the monster's claw mm-hmm. appearing early on. And then, ooh, what is that monster going to be? And it just works really, really well. Um, I didn't see the Silurians until it came out on VHS in mm-hmm. the early 90s. And I couldn't afford to buy it, um, of course, because it was like very expensive. But I was able to rent it from my local video store who had a complete set of Doctor Who on VHS. So that was absolutely delightful. And it didn't disappoint at all. And by then I was in oh, my you know, I was in my mid to early to mid 20s uh, and it didn't disappoint at all. I, I enjoyed it immensely, um, even though you know, it was a murky VHS uh, presentation. Right. And it, mm-hmm. it lived up to the, ex- the very high expectations I had from it from... Um, having so much enjoyed uh, the cave monsters. Yeah. I think what's interesting for me as a viewer of 
the Silurians on repeated viewing is not so much the Silurians, it's how the humans are reacting to the Silurians. When we have um, uh, Dr. Quinn played by, uh, was it? Uh, Fulton McKay. Yeah, Fulton McKay. That, you know, we have his ambitions and then we have Major Baker, Norman Jones, mm-hmm. and his reaction and just how it's a character study of how the humans are dealing with the situation more than it is this is the monsters. Yes. And I think it's, I think it's again a sign of what Mac Hulk is interested in, in is the monsters are just the situation that the humans find themselves in and so you focus in on what the humans are doing the human reactions more than the monsters and i think you're exactly correct exactly correct yeah and and by doing that you don't need to have super expressive monster faces or costumes because the monsters really are the thing that the the actor or cast are reacting to so you're going to get the human expressions that way i think this is what is so good about matt Kulk's writing i mean i think you know maybe the purest expression of that would be the dinosaur invasion where you know the dinosaurs are well you know they are as effective as you want them to be in terms of right. you know, an effect, but you know they are—they're just there for the humans mm-hmm. to react to, um, and and I think I think that that's exactly what he was interested in, and I think the variety of, especially the kind of race memory aspect of uh, the fear that the Silurians uh, give us as humans, we kind of lost that in Warriors of the Deep. <laughs> I guess in the Sea Devils, you know, it's 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 more of a James Bondian kind of romp. Um, right. But again, you know, it's, it's not present in the Sea Devils. It's definitely not present in the Warriors of the Deep. And again, I'm, it's a shame that wasn't an element at all, really, in um, uh, in the in the New Who Silurian reboot. Well, we do have the beat. I think uh, Chibnall does capture where we have the how the humans are reacting to this Silurian invasion and how. Well, what do the humans do? They kill the Silurian that yeah. they have captured. And that's what really sets off Reztec, the Silurian, yeah. when her sister yeah. is killed. So it's there, but like we had talked the previous time, there's too much else going on in the script to develop that theme that I think Hulk had, you know, seven episodes yeah. to work with, opposed to two 50 minute episodes that Chibnall had to work with plus all the other stuff the the season story arc yeah, that Moffat yeah, was included. Yeah, no, exactly. And again, I mean, it's very Quatermass in the pit. That's a similar theme in that third Quatermass uh, serial mm-hmm. where, you know, as I said, it was saying last week, you know, the monsters, we go to the monsters, the monsters come to us, the monsters are already here. Quatermass in the pit is the monsters are already here story, which is what the Silurians are. And, you right. know, there is a race, there was a, there was a, a kind of a genetic fear that we have of these Martians, um, and there's a genetic fear that we have of the Silurians. One one of the other joys about watching the Silurians is, you know, you got Peter Miles, you got Jeffrey Palmer, mm-hmm. Paul Darrow turns up. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's a kind of a, it's just a, it's kind of roll roll call of kind of awesome, excellent genre actors. Um, Fulton Mackay, obviously, we said him already. It's yeah, it's just it's so much pleasure in seeing those people who know exactly what they're doing doing exactly what they do best yeah it's an enjoyable serial and i think it really still holds up and this was i think the last doctor who filmed in the 60s so it's it's a indication of i guess not only how the show is going to change because this was a this is a radical reboot from what we were seeing in the 60s yep you know it reminds me of what we're coming up with series 11 it's going to be most likely a very different show. Chibnall is saying there is nothing, nothing that you need to know to watch this new new right, series. Right. So I think kind of like how season seven began where you really didn't need to know much anything other than this is Doctor Who and the Doctor is on Earth. Yeah, which I think is why we are quite excited about what's going to be happening, basically. Yeah. At least I am, yeah. yeah. It's going to be thrilling just in time for my birthday, which is yeah. the beginning of October. What a great treat. <laughs> what a great treat. So people, who want to, people who want to send me presents mm-hmm. um, uh, can, 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 rem- can, can, remember, can remember that. <laughs> I wonder, mm-hmm. should the Silurians have been a one-off? Would it have been stronger 
if the Silurians were a, a, a unique story rather than recurring villains, a re- reoccurring villain, or readapted for like the Sea Devils, and then you know, since they appeared both in the Silurians and the Sea Devils, then it, it came sort of became fair game to have them in the '80s, and then well, they're a popular monster. Why don't we have them back in the new series? That's uh, excellent question. I mean, I think in general. Well, there's two things. One of which I think in general monsters, unless they've got something radically new to say, they should be one-offs, I think, Mm -hmm. in general. I think actually, weirdly, the Sea Devils do have something radically new to say. And what they have to say is, we're friends with the Master and he's a bit like a James Bond villain. That's their kind of radical thing they want to say, which I think is is, is good enough. But I think what's, uh, to me, I think what's ironic about the Sea Devils and the Silurians, and again, I think we touched on this last week, is that they kind of have to come back because they live on Earth. Right. So they're there all the time. Mm -hmm. And the more that humans live on planet Earth and the more that we dig into the Earth's surface, the more we're going to discover the sea devils and the Silurians because there are millions of them. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of ironically, they sort of have to come back. Do you think the story is the same every time, though? Because it's the sea... (laughs) I mean, they're and the story ultimately is always have... the same. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so that's. Um... I think that's where it breaks down. Is the the problem with uh, Hungry Earth, Cold Blood? It's effectively the same story of the Silurians. Yeah, and unless unless and can... yeah, and then when you add into the whole Zygon inversion, Zygon invasion, with the Zygons already living amongst the humans, it it becomes a kind of an overloaded concept. The Zygons are, I think, almost taking the place of what you would think of the Silurians would have been, living amongst us. Living among us, exactly. Maybe not disguised, but maybe in a human-type disguise. I don't know. It just seems like if, if you're going to have the Silurians back in order to explain why you don't have Silurians walking down the street, is it always has to end tragically for the Silurians. Yeah, yeah, it does. Unless, you know, we do come to some arrangement with them. But then again, if we do come to some arrangement with them, the question is, like, where are they in the future? Right. Why aren't they Silurian, you know, starship captains and, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, presidents of Earth and things like that? Right. If we do, we do to come to an actual accommodation with them. So uh, they're, they're kind of a sort of a, tr- a weird sort of plot trap that yeah. Doctor Who's kind of built for itself that it's kind of hard to work your way out of. But that'd be an interesting thing if you do go into the far future, say to the year uh, Space <laughs> 2200, year. where global warming has gone out of control and you have climate change, and who better to embrace this <laughs> embrace this hot new world than uh, lizards from the dawn of time? Well, I mean, I think that's the... Um, what's the Jim Mortimer new adventure? Um, is it, it's not Hot House, because that's the oldest one. Um there's a virgin new adventure where I think that's precisely the plot, actually. Um, it's actually, it, it's kind of hinges on, uh, spoiler alert, the Silurians have managed to kill the John Pertwee Doctor and they change the climate so it's all hot and all the ice caps melt and all, this, all the sea the sea levels rise. Um, uh, blood heat. Ah. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's typical virgin new adventures. You know, it's really, it's, it's kind of up its own bottom in many ways um <laughs> but it does have some incredibly cool scenes in it mainly you have unit are kind of now hiding on a nuclear submarine um which is where they're kind of living to kind of escape the silurians and um it's actually it's kind of cool um mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of a cool story anyway but yes so one, one could imagine and there are new th- there are there are new stories that you could tell you could do a global warming story with silurians you maybe the mm-hmm. silurians help us out and they you know they help us solve global warming or something by I don't know, getting their friends, the ice warriors, to bring some ice from somewhere. (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? But I mean, so I think there's different things you can do. Chibnall did one of them with the dinosaurs on the spaceship where you had a Silurian spaceship. Uh, You could imagine sort of a Battlestar Galactica type Silurian story where they're returning to Earth after developing a Silurian culture to often off amongst the stars or something yeah. like that. So I, I could see how you could work the Silurians in, but if you're going to do the Silurians are discovered underground, I think you either are going to have a very similar same plot that you have with the Silurians, the Sea Devils, Hungry Earth, Cold Blood, 
or you do something with it in the future where the Silurians have been brokered a piece or coexisting or have taken over because the climate has changed so dramatically, or you do something like the Silurian ruins and you're discovering last lost secrets and that type of stuff. So I, I don't think we need another Silurian story just to, in the same vein that Mac Hulk originally penned in 1969. Right, right. I mean, one thing I will actually quickly reference, though, is the amazing um, Adrian Salmon strip for Doctor Who magazine, um, which was written by... Ah, I'm not going to remember who wrote that now. Anyway, so there was a great one-page strip written for Doctor Who magazine, which had Mondasian Silurians, because obviously, you know, Mondas, um, if it's a direct copy of earth or also has silurians in it as well mm-hmm. and silurian cybermen i.e cybermen who are cyber silurians um <laughs> really really well well it's never been reprinted for whatever reason um but it's well worth seeking out it's one of my favorite um strips from uh, comic strips from uh, doctor who magazine brilliantly brilliantly illustrated by adrian salmon um i think it's gary russell who wrote it Mm. Um, but um, yeah, it's 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 super cool. But it has, you know, it it actually it brings out some of the stuff you've just been talking about. Well, how how could we do a new a new Silurian tale? Um, well, you know, then maybe they become a little bit like the Cybermen. You know, there's hidden cities and there's tombs and etc. 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 Yeah. So I mean, there's things to do. We just don't need to do the same <laughs> thing over and over again. Same yeah. thing over again. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, is it was it the supremacy of the Cybermen? Uh, the, there were a couple. Um, it's called the one. First one was the Dead Heart, and then the second one was the Flesh Unbound. Alan Barnes is the writer. I beg your pardon, okay. not Gary Russell. Alan Barnes, and then there was a third one, which was the Black Sky, the Hungry Sea. And the dark flame, I think, was the very last one. Mm, okay, but well worth seeking out. And then there was a one-parter um, quite a bit later called Future Perfect. Okay, I think that's all. Anyway, but I mean, very, very good, very exciting, and kind of reimagining. You know, again, I just always, I just love this idea of Mondasian Silurians, which makes complete sense. Right. Um, and you know, having the Silurians also be having cyber Silurians. Mm-hmm. I imagine you would have cyber dinosaurs and that type of cyber dinosaurs, cybernization. Cool. Yep, yep. It's all it's all incredibly cool stuff. So mm-hmm. good. Okay. Um, what I think else? that wraps it up for us. I think that wraps it up. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we only have a few more weeks. So we may only have one more podcast before we get into. The Series 11. I know. I, I think I'm just seeing the new Doctor Who magazine is filled with, you know, exclusive interviews with new companions and mm-hmm. pull-out posters and poly bags. And so I think we're gearing up. We're gearing up, folks, for the new series. Yep. So, I, well, depending on how our recording schedule is, we will have either one or two more before the new series. We'll definitely try to have our series preview where we just wildly speculate based off the little tidbit trailers that have been released which yep yep wildly speculate yep. as of right now there's there's only one so it, it'll be a, a short podcast it will be it will be well i said i mean all they have to do as i said just to do the ingrid pitt thing you know when she queen galatea comes back <laughs> with the with her fish people i mean that's obviously that's going to be that's going to be one of the main that's going to be that's going to be season finale season finale series 12 uh, maybe yeah yeah Ingrid Pet of course being dead so that's going to be kind of hard but, well yeah. they're going to do uh, uh, Peter Cushing on her <laughs> CGI Ingrid Pitt. Uh, uh, technology anyway um, yeah so yeah so I mean this is it's very exciting there is a new Doctor Who series coming up very soon. Who is not incredibly excited by that? I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone either. Yeah, I've literally got no friends. <laughs> right. Well, thank you for listening to episode 87 of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been talking with Ben. And I have been talking with David. And have a good one. Good night, everybody. Right. There you go.
Before you reactivated it, I reversed the polarity of the neutron flow. You did what? You realize what will happen? Oh, yes. You. place should go up. 